he just talks about when you're broke and you have no other options, you do whatever it takes. And that was me. I had no other options. Like I do whatever it took. You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Hello, We Love Equity family. Welcome to another show. It is me, Marcus Maloney, the Equity King. And today I have a very special guest. This guy is a myth. He's a legend. He's doing hundreds of deals in multiple markets. And if you do not know who Andy McFarlane is, I'm not sure where you've been at. You're probably just getting started in the real estate industry or in the real estate investing space. But Andy has been around for a long time doing deals. So today I want to welcome Andy to the show. Andy is a wholesaler, fix and flipper. He has a portfolio. He's in multiple markets. So he's in Utah, based out of Utah. He's investing in New Mexico and in Indianapolis. You guys know I love the Midwest. Andy can vouch for the Midwest. It's a nice area to be in. We don't want everybody to flock to the Midwest because we want to keep stuff for ourselves. But if you're in the Midwest, definitely check Andy out, especially if you're in uh, Indianapolis. So Andy, welcome to the show, man. I didn't, I didn't um, talk about your background because I want to leave that up to you to talk about. So welcome to the listeners that don't know who Andy McFarlane is. I don't know how they don't, but for those who don't, introduce us to Andy. All right. Well, first, before I do that, Marcus, I just want to say thank you for all the effort and time and energy you're putting into this show, uh, but on YouTube, you're putting on, on, on the, you know, on the podcast and stuff like, thank you. Cause all the effort and energy you're putting into this, adding more value to other people, uh, is huge. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you for what you're doing, not only for me, but for lots of other people. So thank you. Like this. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, man. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, all right. So let's kind of get into the nuts and bolts, Andy. All right, man. Um, lay it out, man. You're you're a wholesale. Um, I don't want to say the word guru, but you're a wholesale extraordinary. You're an expert, man. So give us the background, how you got started. Tell us about the treehouse, everything like that. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. So, uh, and as you say, you don't want to say a wholesaling guru. I don't consider myself a guru, but there's a guy and I forget what his name is, Nasser, Nasser. Uh, he talks about, yeah, I'm not a guru. I consider myself more of a guru, the as he would say, right? <laughs> yeah, because I'm not a guy just talking about it. I'm doing it. We're doing right. it. Um, yes, yeah, so my background then, not to get too heavy with it, but like my parents are both working professionals. So I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was like 21 years old, and that really resonated with me. I asked my parents, I'm like, do you know anything about this? The concepts they talk about their passive income and stuff. And they were like, no. I mean, they're both college educated. My dad has a master's degree. He was in the military. So I grew up all over the United States. I was born in Georgia, lived in New York. Virginia, Kansas, Germany, lived all over the place, ended up in Utah, but like, I never knew anything about that. And then I was, when I was going to school, I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was always kind of an average student, but money always clicked for me. Interest always clicked for me. Like I was always fascinated by that. And when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I was like, that's it. I said, I didn't have to, I don't have to know what I want to be when I grow up. I can just make money. And that was really it for me. Um, and ever since then, I mean, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I bought my first property, which I call, I name it. We name our properties, right? I name it my tree house because, you know, a kid, most of the first experience they have with construction is like, 
building the treehouse, right? Yeah. Well, I never, I never built the treehouse, but my first property was my first. I mean, I, I had no experience in construction too, but I, out of necessity, because I had no money, like I had to do a lot of stuff myself and talking to friends and family to come and help me as well. But that became my treehouse. Bought it as a bank-owned REO property. Bought it. It was a horrible part of town, by the way. Bought it, fixed it, rented it because it was a triplex. Sold it on owner financing, like, uh, wow. and then, okay. then they ended up cashing me out. So I got experience of fixing up a property, financing the property, renting as a, you know, as a landlord, and then selling it via owner finance. And then ultimately he cashed me out. And that was my first deal. So my treehouse, I learned a lot from that treehouse. Yeah, all in that one deal. So, so how did you, how did you find that property, Andy? Yeah, and that property, this was 2003, back in the day, back when they had REO properties, right? Real okay. estate owned properties, bank owned yep. properties. So my brother was a real estate agent. He was working for a big REO agent. And, uh, and he wanted to represent me, obviously, right? And I didn't know anything. Neither one of us knew anything, frankly. Like he was a real estate agent, hadn't done any transactions, really. Yep. And I was, a real, I was a real estate investor, but I'd never done any transactions. You know, I just wanted to do something. And then he found this property and, and he knew it was getting listed because he was an assistant to this big REO agent, right? So I kind of knew about it a little bit before. So I put in my offer first thing, full price, and those other offers came in behind me, I think. But I think that agent kind of, and I don't know for a fact, but I think he kind of boxed the other ones out and let me have it because, okay. you know, I, I think, I think, I don't know, uh -huh. right? But, but it was a hot property. I didn't know how hot, I didn't know it was a hot property. It was, it was cheap, $60,000, bad part of Salt Lake City. Wow. It was an e illegal, non-conforming, bank-owned triplex. So many code violations. It was horrible, right? But I didn't know any better. I was just wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. I was just like eager beaver. I'm going to go do this, right? But that's how I got it. Uh, they, they, I think they kind of boxed people out. I got in there. And um, so where did you where did you get the um, where did you get the financing for it or or the capital? Oh man, oh man, Marcus, <laughs> you're going to make me tell it all, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. So uh, look, I'm a I'm a 22, 23 year old kid at that time. I think it was, yeah, 23 year old kid at the time. 22. I was almost turned 23. I had no money. And my parents, you know, they're working professionals. They didn't have a lot of money, but they loved their son. <laughs> and yep. they, and I said, and I said, this was back in the days when you could actually finance and was easier. I had a job. I worked on a loading dock at the time. I had W2 income. So, but I had no cash. So I talked to my parents. My parents would love me very much. My mom specifically it loaned me the 10% down payment to get okay. a loan on. So I got a conventional loan because I didn't know any better. Right. I mean, looking back at it now, I should have just got total private money, hard money, whatever. I didn't know. So yeah, I got conventional know. financing. 10% down, the $6,000 came from my mom. Love her. She, she okay. they thought I was crazy, but they loaned me $6,000. It was a loan. This was not a gift. This was a loan. Uh, they loaned me $6,000. And then my friend, you know, we've all got that friend growing up that's like the tightwad that saves everything. Yep, my yep. friend that saves everything, his name's Aaron. Still buddies to this day. He had $10,000, which Marcus, that was more money than I'd ever heard of in my life at that point in time. And I somehow convinced him. <laughs> We're gonna, I somehow convinced him. I said, look, man, you loan me the $10,000, I'll give you $11,000 when I you know, refinance, recapitalize this thing. And he agreed to it and we wrote up, it was a loan. And other than that, so I had the down payment for my mom, six grand, Yep. $10,000 cash for my friend to help me do whatever fix up. And it was gonna cost more than that. I had my sweat equity. I mean, I just doing, yep. I was doing the work and no interest credit card from Home Depot. Dead serious, hey, well, dead serious. Well, you got started with private money. That's one thing. You, yeah. you learn how to, yeah. how to, how yeah. to raise capital. That's one thing. And um, what, I, what I really like about the story, and this is the reason why I wanted you to, to tell it, because I'm pretty sure you've been telling it for years, but the thing that really intrigued me about it, it was you had the mind to do it, and you didn't let no barriers, you didn't let any setback stop you. You said, you know, let me figure it out. I don't have the money. Hey, mom, hook me up you know, check me out. Let me, let me get some money. And then you knew this, this buddy and you said, Hey, you, you loan me 10. 
I'll give you back 11. You know, and you got started, you use your credit card and everything like that. Guys, it's just getting into it. Just oh, find man. a way to get started. Oh man, and I'm looking at you, Marcus. You can't see this because I'm, you know, behind you. But I see behind you to your to your uh, right there. You see, got a book, "The Power Broke" by Damon John. That's what he talks about. I mean, to save you guys the trouble. It's a great book, but to save you guys the trouble, he just talks about when you're broke and you have no other options, you do whatever it takes. And yeah. that was me. I had no other options. Like, I do whatever it took. So. Yeah, and you and you knew you was and one one thing you was doing, you was claiming that you was a real estate investor before you even started oh, on yeah. your first deal. And that's one one of the things that I'm I'm a firm believer on is framing where you want to go. Like every morning I get up and I had these confessions and I say them. And that was before I became a real estate investor. That was one of my confess confessions was I am a multi-million dollar real estate investor. This is before I did any deal, anything like that. It was I am a real estate investor. And I remember one time I was in San Antonio, me and my wife was out and this guy asked me, you know, I was like, hey, you know, what do you do? So on and so forth. And I was like, well, I'm a real estate investor. And he was like, well, well what do you do? And I didn't have anything, you know, but I knew that's where I was going and I was just confessing it and speaking it over myself. And that's kind of what you did. You know, you was like, I'm a real estate investor. I haven't done it, yeah. but I am going to be one. Yep, absolutely. But that deal. I did that, did the treehouse, and I learned so much from my house. Man, I, I had friends and neighbors, anybody I could get to come help me, but I did uh -huh. it and I learned from it. And then that was, you know, you got to do your first one, like you're saying, just get out there and do it. And then it kind of kind of goes from there, right? I didn't know where I was going to go. It's just like you do it and it just turns into, you know, you learn the next step and the next step and the next yep. step, right? Yep. But getting started, yeah. So what, what spawned after that, after you got that treehouse done? Now I know you got massive confidence. You're like, hey, you know what? I did this one non-conforming tri-level tri or triplex. Yep. You know, everyone told me I couldn't do it, but I got it done. I know you feeling like you got a cape on your back. You ready to take on the world. What was <laughs> next, Andy? Man, I didn't think that at all. I, I, I really went through that thing. I was like, if I can make 10 grand on this, I'll be, I'll be stoked, right? And then, but what happened at the end of that, when I sold it on owner financing, I knew I was going to make a portion of cash when he cashed me out. But what was really happening was, I was just getting cash flow. So I got $400 a month. So at that time, I'm a dock worker. I'm working on a loading dock. And I was like a $13 an hour employee. I was making 400 bucks a month. And I made like 100 bucks a day on the dock. And I was like, this property, I was just, I was beside myself thinking like, this property is like, every month is giving me 400 bucks for doing nothing. That's the way I saw it. I'm doing nothing, right? So I did that deal. And I'm still looking for other deals. And another, my, one of my next deals that I did, uh, and I'd, I'd probably done a, a few in between there. But the next deals I did was a guy that worked on the loading dock with me. He was a, his name was Benny, 80 years old or so. He's driving truck, owned a few different rental properties. And he was kind of like, he talked to me, right? He'd come to the mm -hmm. break room. I was loading his truck and stuff. And he was just like, you know, you got to get into real estate. And I'm like, I know. And he sold me a property he had in Salt Lake that was all run down. It was a piece of junk. And he couldn't sell it for 80 grand. And I offered him $80,000. But I said, Benny, and he was a friend of mine. Like, he liked me, right? He was just like, I'm a young guy coming up. He's like, he's like, I like you. He... And I was just like, I'll say, Benny, I'll give you $5,000 down. He's like, you got five grand. I'm like, I'll give you $5,000 down. If you'll, if you'll carry that balance at $75,000. I said, if you'll do that for me, if you let me pay you over time with that, then I would love to do that. I said, I'll put all the work into it, everything. And he liked me and he did it. Not really. I mean, favor. I mean, he, he couldn't sell it for 80, right? But yeah. he gave me terms. So he sold me that property from a guy. He was a truck, truck driver on the dock, right? But he had money compared to me, right? So I put five grand down to $75,000 was uh, no interest, straight principal, $520 and 83 cents a month on that property. And I turned around and rented it for 750. Right. So for me, that was my next thing. Right. 
Yeah. Boom. Like I had the five thousand. So I was always like, I got a little bit of money from my, my tree house, took that five thousand, put it down on that, no interest. And I wasn't making a lot of cash flow from usually paying attention. It's like uh, it was a principal only payment of five twenty eighty three, but uh, no taxes or insurance. I gotta pay that separate. I'm renting it for seven fifty. So I've got like really no cash flow except for I'm paying down five twenty a month. Yep. And it's like a twelve year loan, right? I'm gonna own that thing in twelve years, right? What well, I, I do. So but that was it, right? And I just kept going, next one, next one. And in other properties I would get like wholesaling, like this was back before wholesaling was a thing. People, nobody called it wholesaling. I remember I had a bank owned triplex up here in Utah that I got under contract with, through a real estate agent, just traditional stuff. And then the real estate agent called me when I'm under contract and they said, hey, uh, this other agent talked to me and they actually want to buy the house. And, and I'm like, well, I'm buying the house. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but they want to buy it. And I'm like, well, I'm buying it though. I'm He's like, you don't understand. Right. He's like, they'll give you uh, $3,000 to not buy the house, basically, or to, to let to sell it to them. Like basically an assignment. We all yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah. I like, I I'd never heard that. I'm like, they'll give me three grand. I don't have to close, do anything. And they're like, no, they'll give you three grand. And I was like, sign me up, man. Let's do it. Exactly. So I made three <laughs> grand there. And I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Right. I'm like, cool. So I did that. And there's really, for me, it was just all a sequence of doing stuff like that. Right. Just bumbled around and doing that stuff, learning all along the way until fast forward 17 years. Now um, I've got a team of people. And that's what you asked me earlier. Long story long. Right. Uh, what am I doing now? I got a team yep. of people, uh, 13 people on my team, uh, Utah, New Mexico, and Indiana. And there's, we can talk, break down the team members if you want to, but we yep. do, yep. I do about, you know, 15 to 20 properties a month. Um, and just mostly wholesale, but we do some retail flips too. But that's all where it started. I mean, it started with a dock worker. I mean, I was working on a loading dock. That was it. No money. Gotcha. So humble beginnings, guys. Andy didn't start with, you know, this loan of $100,000 or $200,000 to get started. Um, started with that six grand and worked it and built it up from there. So Andy, tell me, you were doing everything by yourself, independent, started by yourself. How did you know, or when did that mindset shift to where you say, you know what, I can't do this all by myself. In order for me to get to the next level, I need to bring in team members. <laughs> I wish I could say I had like a blueprint that was gonna happen. Here's how it really happened for me, my first team member. Look, I mean, most people probably could relate that are listening to this, the solopreneurs. I thought there was no other way. I was just hustling. Like I was just yep. doing everything you do. I find, I mean, I did everything, right? You're talking about answering the phone call, going to see the sellers, doing the advertising, whether it be newspaper ads at the time, whatever it is, right? I was doing everything. I just thought that's the way you had to do it. And then I got, I literally, I got an ad and it was like this creative ad, lumpy mail, which I don't know what lumpy mail was at the time. Uh -huh. It was a tube, a little info tube. And when you opened it, there was 3D glasses. And then the 3D glasses would allow you to read this like kind of mind thing gotcha. and it said and it said this it said like are you seeing your books clearly they were a bookkeeping company that was trying to get clients and they sent me this piece of mail and i was just like i was into direct mail because i was sending it for myself you know because uh -huh. i work with private sellers i've always worked with private sellers and i was like that's way cool so i called them up and said look i'm not interested in your services because i i do my own quickbooks and i'm really good at it right that's what i thought <laughs> but but my like, where did you get that because that's way cool i mean it got my attention like i want to do right. something like that right and they're like, okay, cool. They told me, but they're like, look, just meet with us for lunch. Let's buy you lunch. I'm like, all right, whatever. So they got a meeting, sat down at lunch. They closed me. They're like, look, you're probably not as good as books as you think. Let us help you out. And I reluctantly let them do it. I'm like, whatever. We'll see if you can do this, right? Do it, right. Best decision of my life. That lady, so she worked for the company at the time. She's been my controller for like five years now. So she came on and started working for me full time. And she still works for me like pretty much full time right now. But she convinced me to do that. And so the books was the first thing I let go. Now, I was a guy, like, I'm detail-oriented. And, like, when I'd go like, get a receipt, I had to come in and enter it in and do all this stuff, right? Like, it yep. was slowing me down. I didn't know it was slowing me down, though. So when she took the books from me, it was like she was doing it so much faster than I could. 
And then she noticed, because she got into my operation, she was kind of seeing all the stuff I was doing. She had a few things going on, spinning a lot of plates. And she's like, hey, why don't you have somebody help you with your, your properties, your projects? Like I was running the Home Depot. You know how it is. I was doing the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, you was and hustling. I, and I was totally hustling. And I'm like, I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, why don't you just have somebody like, she's like my brother-in-law. or my, She's like, my sister's about to marry a guy in California. He was moving out to Utah. She's like, he's just really good at fixing stuff. Why don't you interview him? Why don't you see if he'll help you? And I'm like, hmm. all right, whatever. So I give him this job interview and I'm not a big serious coach. I mean, I'm doing a couple properties a month, but he comes out there. He's like a 20 year old kid, you know, shirt and tie. Cause he's coming to a job interview. <laughs> yeah, and it, to a job he, interview. Come, totally, he comes to my house and I'm like, what are you doing with that? I'm like, we went to our project, the first project. And that was pretty much it. Like I hired him. He started doing the project and another project, another project. So then I had a project manager, I had a bookkeeper. And then I'm like, well, I should have somebody help me answer the phone. So I had somebody help me answer the phone. Then that person started helping me hang signs. And then they were comping my appointments for me because I was running the appointments. And then like, you know, I just kind of stepped out of each role, right? Gotcha. Until, until I got to a point where I was just like, I stepped out of the sales role, which was my last time I stepped out of the role. Uh, I thought that I was the only one that could do that. I thought I, I thought I had to do that. And then I stepped out of that and realized there's people that are better at it than I am. And that's one of the things, especially with those that are making that transition is doing, you know, one or two deals a month. And they say, well, I can do it. I'm doing it all on my own. But you can accelerate yourself when you start bringing in people. But then sometimes you go to the point, you get to the point where you say, well, I don't have the money to bring on people, you know, but if I bring on people, then I have the money. So it's that quandary between, you know, the chicken or the egg. Do I bring somebody on and hopefully I make the money or do I make the money and bring somebody on? So did you go through that um, getting started when you started bringing people on outside of the bookkeeper, but like bringing an acquisition manager on and sales team people and everything like that? Yeah. I mean, I probably went through the same thing everybody went through. I thought like you're a little bit of scarcity mindset. You're a little bit of, you're cheap. You're a little bit cheap thinking like, yeah. oh, I don't know if I can do this. Right. But I did it. And, and I was, I've always like been smart with my money and try to save it. Like my first deal, my tree house, I made 40 grand and I put 5,000 down on that rental. I loaned the money, other money, hard money to somebody else. Like I've always just never consumed it. Right. I've always just made smart financial decisions like that. But yeah, it was a little bit of a little nerve wracking. I mean, one for the money you're going to pay them and two, you're like, I don't know what they're doing. Right. Like, right. You know, I, I know when I'm doing it, I'm like, I know what's happening, but when they're doing it, I'm not quite so sure. But, um, but man, you get a taste of it and you find some good people and there are so many good people out there that need the opportunity. They need to help you. Yeah. They need that opportunity in life. You get out there, you find those people. Oh, it's so mutually beneficial. And it's, I mean, Mark, best thing, best thing I've ever done, obviously. So, so how do you manage and how do you track their productivity? Then yeah. since you said, you know, you don't know what they're doing, how do you guys do like a weekly team meeting or do you have your different KPIs that you're tracking? How do you manage these people? Yeah, we do have that. So we kind of run a traction style. If you've heard of you know, traction yep. and like run KPIs and stuff, we've got that. But the answer kind of how I manage it, I'm a part of a couple of those team meetings in the week, but I've also got uh, a few years ago, I came before I got a COO. So you may have heard people have an operations officer. So I've got a guy in my company who's day in, day out in it, you know, managing the people from the, the, the phone team to the marketing, to the dispositions, to project management. He's kind of over it. So I'm like, he, he is managing them. And we're okay. managing them through the numbers and stuff too, but but yeah, he manages them. So is that that guy? He's a salary guy or a commission guy? Kind of where? How is he getting compensated? Yeah, it's interesting. He started out with me five, oh man, almost six years ago now, and he started out as my marketing manager. And I could tell he was one of those guys that like did everything he did really well, and he just wanted more. And I'm like, you want more? He's like, yeah, I want more. So about a year into our relationship, so he started out just getting a, a, a small piece, right? Because I was already doing a bunch of stuff. He got a small piece. And then the next year, you know, he, was, he proved his value. He was like, okay, negotiating kind of a little bit of a raise. And then I think it was like the end of the year one or maybe a year and a half, he was just like, we were to dinner, my wife and he, you know, me and my wife and he and his wife. 
And he's just like, he wanted more responsibility. I'm like, do you want to run this thing? He's like, don't you? And I was like, no, I don't want to run this thing. You want to run this thing? And he said, yeah, he did. I'm like, okay, let you run it. And then we just negotiated. He got a percentage of the net profits for running it. Gotcha. And then that's it. So currently right now he gets a percentage of the net profits. So if we don't make any money in a month, he goes, no, don't make any. Okay. Poke, that's a poke, good, but, good way to structure it. But, when he, but mutually beneficial, right? Our, our incentives are aligned. When we do make money, he makes money. Gotcha. He makes money. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so Andy, tell me, um, when did you start putting these things into place? Were you at two deals a month, three deals a month, five, kind of where were you at? Because I'm, I'm looking at the aspect of those people that are doing one or two deals a month and they, it's them by themselves, you know, maybe they, you know, making 15 grand a month or doing onesie twosies, eight, three, you know, making 12 grand a month and they want to, they want to scale and they want to escalate. And they need to put this team in place, but they're, they're, you know, like that scarcity mindset. Well, I don't know. I'm doing it all by myself, making decent money, but they know they want to go further. Where were you at when you made that, when you made that jump? I was probably doing about consistent. I mean, one or two deals a month. I probably wasn't even doing that much. Maybe call it two deals a month, right? I I'd probably doing 24 deals a year, mostly wholesale. Cause I, but I did a few flips here and there, but yeah, I wasn't doing a ton of stuff and I was doing it all, but I was, you know, you do a couple of deals and you're making, you know, 30 grand or whatever. It's like, you're making good money, right? Yep. So, I mean, yep. I, you're, and, and you're, you're in the other mentality is you're kind of stuck in the pond with the other people that are around you. And they're looking at you saying you're doing two deals a month and they haven't done one. You're, you're a big fish. Right. And it's like, they're telling you like how, how good you are right? until, until you see someone's doing bigger. You're like, you just think that you're, yeah, you're I'm just, it, right? I'm just hustling. <laughs> yeah, man. Like yeah. I'm doing more than these guys. Aren't you surround yourself with those people? Right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, and that transition, you know, I, I'll talk to you about this transition I had. It was about six years ago, seven years ago now. I don't remember exactly. You've heard of Bigger Pockets. You know Bigger yep. Pockets. I think you're, you're blog on that. Yep. Their first conference ever. So I don't know when that was. It was in Denver seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that. They had speakers. There were people that were really active in the forums. And they had two of them that were speaking specifically on wholesaling. Did you go to this, by the way? It was in Denver. I didn't go to the one in Denver. I went to the one in Nashville. Okay. So the first one, they did this in Denver, right? Yep. So I went there and it was it, bigger pockets was smaller back then. Right. Like yep. it was a smaller community. Yep. I haven't been super active on it recently, but I know it's grown a ton. Right. Oh yeah. But it's exploded. But it's yeah, huge. Right. So in yeah, a two day, two day conference in Denver, go there. And one of the people they were speaking on wholesaling, there's just people speaking on wholesaling. The guy's name was Ryan Weber. And I'm like, okay. he's, a, you know, like I was dialed into wholesaling because that's what I was doing. I was hustling. He's up there speaking on stage. He's talking to stuff. And I was just like, I could complete a sentence. I'm like, yeah, I know exactly. Like we were, we were one. Like, we were one. Yeah. Right? totally aligned. I'm like, dude, like I, I knew exactly what I was. I'm like, I'm you. Right. So like afterwards, it was a small conference after the grab. I'm like, Hey man, can we go to dinner? He's like, sure. We go to dinner. We're sitting at our dinner. We connected really fast, we became super fast friends, same age, mm -hmm. wife, four kids. Like we were like the same person, man. We were the same person. <laughs> yeah. He's in Texas doing wholesale doing like 80 deals a year out of like Amarillo, Texas. And he was like, how many deals are you doing? I'm like, like 24. He's like, Dude, your Amarillo's got like how two hundred thousand people. Salt Lake's got two million people. Right, right. He's just like, and we this Marcus. This is literally the conversation that happened at dinner. He's just like, uh, you're the same age as me. You know the same stuff as me. We're clicking all this stuff. Your wife, kids, all this stuff. And he's just like, you're doing twenty four deals and two million people. I'm in Amarillo doing eighty. He and he said to me, he's like, Andy, why aren't why aren't you doing more? He seriously said that to me. Yeah. And yeah. that was the first time in my life I was like, huh, like it. And and I say this, I've said this since, like. Ryan, in that very thing, he gave me permission to be bigger than I was. 
And that's all it was. There's nothing else he gave me, Marcus. He yeah. just, I just look at across the table, the guy that's flesh and bone, just like me, exactly me, same experience, doing 80 deals in a smaller market, and I'm doing 24. And he basically just challenged me through that. He's just like, dude, why aren't you doing more? And we, this wasn't a mentor mentee thing. We were friends. And from that time, we started having phone calls every month or so. And, and, I, and I started scaling from then. That, that was really it, right? That's good. I mean, you, you had to have that person that really spoke that into your life. You know, he yep. just challenged you and you said, oh, you know what? Let me rise, rise up to this, to this challenge. Let me meet this challenge. And then you just kind of took off from there. So he made me think I could, like yeah. I saw him and I like, and for the first time I believed it, like it was not just faith. It was like a knowledge. I'm like, I can do this. And that was it. It clicked for me and it did it. And then um, we were kind of, we, we talked every month for like, a year, year and a half. I mean, I was at growing and doing more stuff. Uh, and eventually he actually tragically passed away in a car accident, like a year and a half after that, two years oh, after that. Wow. Yeah. So he was a big contributor on bigger pockets and all stuff back in the day, but he, he passed away, man. It's tragic for me, for me. Yeah. Super tragic. Yeah. But I mean, but one, one thing about it is, you know, you didn't go out, you didn't pay 20, $30,000 on a mentor, but you were yeah. active out there doing deals and you basically found that mentor intermittently just by having that conversation and then you had the, the gall to say you know what after this after he comes off the stage speaking i'm just going to talk to him and invite him to dinner and you guys built that built that relationship absolutely man absolutely he gave me that permission and i credit ryan man ryan weber he gave me permission and so what do you think outside of the permission what did he do to instill that in you because did you ramp up marketing what did you do you know to, to get to that? Well, yeah yeah and we're breaking it down, right? Because I'm having a conversation. We had the dinner conversation that night. And then he's in Amarillo and back in Salt Lake, right? So we're just talking and all stuff. And I'm like, I was mailing like 2,500 mailers a month. And he's mailing like 8,000 or 10,000. And his small town, he's like, dude, how big is your universe? I'm like, what? And he's like, how big is your mailing universe? He's like, let's find out. So we found out how big my universe. I went from mailing like 2,000 a month to like 6,000 a month, like 7,000, like 10,000, 15,000. That was it. Like for me, mailers were huge. I just ramped up my mailers. And I ramped up the mailers so much, I started doing a ton more mailers. And then I had somebody answer the phones for me, right? Because the, the the, my limiting belief was mailers. Like if I send out the mailers, the nights and weekends, I'm answering the phone. We've all been there before, right? Like I don't want to do that. But as soon as I ramped up those mailers to a point where I couldn't handle the phone calls and I had somebody else do it for me, then I didn't care how many mailers I sent. Then I started sending 20, 30, 40,000 mailers or more, right? And then it's yep. just like, then it just became this little assistant. They're answering the phone for me, you know, and then I go on appointments and all that stuff, right? So and, that was it. it. Do more mail. Do more. Yeah, mail. yeah. And that was good because it made you it made you grow. It made you expand. You know, because you said, "All right, well, I got two million people in my circle of influence, basically in Utah yeah. that I can touch. I need to start touching these people." But the only reason why you wasn't touching these people was because you didn't want to answer these phone calls on the back end. So you're like, yeah. "Well, if I get somebody to answer the phone calls, now I can make." send out as much money, I mean, as much mail as my money can handle. And that's what you yep. did and you scaled from there. So now that person now was handling the phone calls. Where did you yep. find them? Was it a VA through <laughs> Upwork or a friend? How, how did that happen? Man, I wish I could tell you I was smart enough to do a VA from Upwork. Back at that time, I mean, I had a project manager. I had a person, uh, I had my, my bookkeeper, right? But um, I was still cheap, man. I was still cheap. And this is the mentality. You got to get out of the mentality, but I was still cheap. And what I had was I had somebody call me, a, a budding real estate investor from a bandit sign. They called me and, you know, I'm doing multiple deals per month, like not a ton, but I'm doing, you know, right. I'm doing multiple deals. Called me and says, Hey, you kind of wanted like a mentorship relationship or whatever. I'm like, look, I mean, I don't do that. That's not what I do. But if you want to come help me out and stuff, like I said, I'll, I'll kind of teach you and you can watch stuff. And like, and he's like, okay. So he came in and he became the first guy to answer the phones. Right. 
So it was just yeah, like, I didn't have to pay him. You know, he just wanted to do it to learn. And he did. And eventually, eventually, actually, he moved up in the organization and changed positions and roles and stuff. Uh, but yeah, that was the first thing. He was just like, he needed some guidance and I needed somebody to answer the phone. So I was like, he's like, I can do that. And then he started answering the phones. They started comping some of my appointments for me because I didn't want to comp them all. Then okay. he used TC too. I mean, he kind of wore multiple hats until we outgrew that. And then I had to get other people to do some of those hats, right? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, so you were still running out on appointments, negotiating with sellers. He was oh, just man. handling the phones. Yeah, he was handling the phones that I'd have him do some handle my, I call it comp, he'd do the pre-work before the appointment, gotcha. put together package of comps. And, stuff. and then he would also do some transaction coordination. But then eventually, I mean, we way outgrew that. But yeah, and I was, I was running appointments, Marcus. I loved it, man. Like that was my thing. And I don't know if you've worked with private seller before, if that's your yep, thing, but yep. like, I love it, man. Like I, I thought I loved it. Right. Until you do it way too much of it. But like, uh, I, I, that's the part I dig in the business, man. I love meeting with people and I loved it. And, and that's kind of the reason why I'm, reason why I'm digging into this is I'm asking because that's kind of where I'm at. I, I love going out on those appointments, but at the same time, you know, I have somebody telling me, hey, you know what, in order for you to get bigger in the scale, you're going to have to outsource some of this stuff. But I'm, but I'm like, I love doing this. You know, this is, the, this is the rush for me is going out, meeting the sellers, kind of talking to them and everything like that. But once I made that transition to start doing virtual stuff, naturally, I couldn't go out on those appointments. So it forced me to, uh, to lay aside some of those responsibilities and give them to other people. And guys, this is the reason why I'm asking Andy these questions is because you get to that point where you're doing one or two deals a month and you, you say you're satisfied, but you want to expand and do more. You have to let go of that scarcity mentality and just get out there and really start working it and doing it. So Andy, all right, you're doing all of that. What are some of the, what are some of the roles that your team members play in your organization? Yeah, so the different roles we got. First thing, uh, people answer the phone. We call them, you know, uh, lead intake, right? So mm-hmm. people answer the phone. We got three of them. Uh, we got transaction coordination. Uh, we got uh, marketing. We've got dispositions, which is the guy that's selling the stuff. We got project management. We got the person that's doing all the books, right? She's, yep. she's the controller behind the scenes. We got the COO. And then we have real estate agents who I don't really consider as like part of the core team, right? Gotcha. But they are. And then we got acquisition managers, right? So we got three phone people. We got two transaction coordinators. We got four sales reps right now. Um, we got a COO. We got a dispositions guy. We got a project manager. Um, and we got a controller. And then eight real estate agents across markets okay. that are kind of part so, of the team, but that's it. So what's the difference between your sales guys, your sales reps, and your acquisitions managers? Same. Same, same deal. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then what, just, just for the people that's listening, what marketing strategies that you're currently using that you didn't use before? Because I know mail was really, really hot, you know, a few years ago, and then everybody started doing it. It started dying down some, and then people started doing some, some other traditional or non-traditional marketing strategies. Kind of what are some of the things that you guys are doing? And I know it varies from market to market because, hey, Indianapolis, you're probably still doing mail because it works there versus yep. not working in Utah. So kind of kind of lead us into that. Yeah, and, and you're right, market, uh, Utah is like uber competitive. It's uber competitive. So I would say this to people, everything works if you kind of work it, right? But what we're currently doing right now, direct mail is still a workhorse. We still do a lot of direct mail in all three markets. Now it works better in some markets than other ones, right? But I would say behind the direct mail too, it's the effort behind the direct mail. So if somebody, if you're answering the phone live, 
jumping on those appointments, going out there, being personable, doing all that stuff, controlling the stuff you can control, you can still be successful with direct mail. Now you're not going to like, I mean, you're, you're going to get multiple people on it, especially in Utah, because they're yep. getting mail from everybody, right? But direct mail still does work. Besides direct mail, we do a lot of online stuff. So we try to have our SEO presence up. Uh, pay-per-click, we still do Google pay-per-click. Um, okay. That's a high skill thing. You got to kind of know what you're doing there else you're going to get your eat, lunch eaten by Google. Yeah. They don't do that yeah. stuff for free, right? <laughs> uh, Facebook, we still do some Facebook stuff. Uh, and besides that, we're also experimenting with some, uh, some text messaging stuff, right? Which is a okay. hot thing now. Uh, and that works too. But again, it's one of those things you got to do it the right way. You got to have the right people running it. Because there's yep. things, you know, that it's, something, it's not that something doesn't work, it does work. It just depends on like, how you do it. Because I've heard people say a cold calling doesn't work. And then some people say it does work, right? So it just depends yeah. on how you do that stuff. But those are the things. I mean, those are the, that's what we're doing today. And I'd say consistency is the key. Day in, day out, month in, month out, we're doing that. We're doing that okay. stuff. And that's, that's one of the things that I tell people is it's not the initial marketing, but it's the consistency of the marketing that you're doing. So if you're doing direct mail and you send out, you know, a thousand pieces and you say, well, direct mail doesn't work. Well, you only sent out a thousand pieces for one and you only sent it out once. You know, a lot of times you have to send that stuff out five, six, seven times to the same seller in order to get them on the phone. And that's kind of what we had to do. We had to pivot. Uh, from some of the direct mail to the text messaging, you know, due to, you know, the economic climate and uncertainty yeah. in some of the markets now. So, um, yeah, you hit it right on the head, man. Consistency and persistence is, is key in this. I got a story I haven't told anybody ever because this just happened like two weeks ago. One of my sales reps in Utah goes out, he comes back, he has a contract. And you know how he got the contract? I mean, it was a direct mail lead too. Uh -huh. He got the contract. The seller told him, the seller said, look, I've been getting mail from this guy because my picture's on some of the mailers, right? It's like, I've been getting this mail for this guy for years. And he had a stack of postcards from me. Wow. And he's like, I trust you guys. I know you're credible. Because if this guy has enough money to send out postcards to me every month, I know he's got money to buy my house. That's literally what he said. There you go. There you yeah. go. So he sold us the house. It's, it's that consistency, proof and that yep. consistency, you know, and that's, that's some of the things that I see, you know, year after year, I'm like, okay, I didn't mail this person for three years now. Yeah. <laughs> you <Yep. know? laughs> they got a stack of them. I've had it before when I used to go work sales. I had one once that's handed me my stack of postcards. They're like, here you go. I was like, well, I guess it worked. Yeah, it worked because you, you're here now. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's, let's take a brief break, Andy. Um, yep. When we come back, I want to talk about um, some of the things with your team members and, and where you see yourself going from here. So let's take a brief break. Hear a word from our sponsors and we'll come right back. All right, guys, we are back with Andy McFarland. Andy is doing multiple deals in multiple uh, markets. You're doing what, like 100 deals a year now? 100, 150 deals a year? Our highest year was just over like, just almost 300, but we do about 200 deals a year. Man, how, how did, did you ever imagine getting to that point? No, I really didn't. I didn't think, I never started out with this blueprint thinking like I want to do 300 deals a year. That's, that's not how it happened for me. Nope, not at all. Uh, it so, just kind of, it was organic, you know? Okay. So it just started doing a little bit and that little bit just growing and growing and growing. Yep. How do you handle this? How do you handle the one, the two? It was just more phone calls, more leads, handle those leads, more contracts. How do you handle those contracts? Having to wholesale a lot of that stuff, right? And then it just became, okay, we got this little system here in one state. How about, can we do it here, right? And we did that same operations center, basically, right? Because you yep. can see the same phone people, the same TC people, same disposition. You just need to get an acquisition manager. So we like, boom, roll in a new state, roll into another state. Now, I'm saying it like it's easy. Look, it's not easy, right? This stuff's not easy. None of this stuff's easy, but it's possible. 
and, gotcha. and we did it. And when you come up with a problem, because I can't tell you, I can't give any of your listeners the list of all the problems they're going to come up with. They're going to come up. But when they come up, you just got to have the attitude of like, how can we overcome this? How what are we going to do? And you, you do it. You figure it out at that time. You know, just go overcome it. There you Gap go. and overcome. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So when you're rolling into a new market, naturally yeah. everything behind the scenes is the same. Same marketing, pretty yeah. much everything like that. How do you find your boots on the ground? Oh, man. <laughs> Brute force. It's tough, okay. man. Here's the thing. You come into a new market, like marketing is similar. Dispositions also similar. But you come into a new market, you're cold. And here's the stuff you got to figure out in the new market. You got to figure out like the areas, like the different types of areas there, right? So you, like yeah. every real estate market, you know your market. You know like you want to be south of the street, north of the street, all this stuff. You know who that, you know who the players are. You know the title companies are. You, you know all that stuff. When yeah. you come into a market, you just make that list of things. You're like, okay, I got to get to know the market. I got to get MLS access. I got to get access to the, the county data and stuff. I got to get, figure out who the players are, who the buyers, who are the, you know, all of this stuff, right? And then you just go in there and you just figure it out one step at a time. It's like, just, I mean, you just come in there, just punch it one step at a time. And if, sometimes you do it, you go in there, you sign up a deal because it's like motivated sellers, motivated sellers. But yeah. sometimes the price, you don't know where you need to be. You sign up a deal, you have your list and it starts out small. You blast it out there and people laugh at you. They're like, oh, you think you're going to sell it for that? Do you realize it's right next to this and that and the other? And you're like, just be humble about it. And like, cool. And you learn, right? Because they yep. gave you that feedback, right? And you learn. And then you adjust the price or you don't. And that wasn't a failure. You just learned like, just okay, learn. people don't like that. They don't like this. They do like this and that. And then you start building these people. And then all of a sudden, we started out when we were in these different states. We started out there. They were like, people were like, were ticked off. They didn't like us. And they're like, who do you think you are? You can come into our state and do this. You've never been here before. You can't do this stuff. And they're like, oh, you guys are going to be gone within a you know, few months. So it's, it's been five so years. So let me ask you, is this, is this realtors, other investors, or sellers? Yes. Not sellers, not sellers, but real, okay. re realtors and other investors. They, they're kind of either they're jealous of you or they think you can't do it because they can't do it. Yep. And they think you're going to go away. And in both kinds, both markets that we're in, they thought we're going to go away. We've been there five years now in one of those markets. Five years. Mm. And we're probably the biggest player in that market. Wow. We're probably the biggest player in that market, right? And people now, they, they thought we were going to go away and now they buy from us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing is, you know, really being humble about it, going into the new market saying, okay, I need to know who I need to know. I need to know what players I need to get connected with. I need to know what realtors to get connected with. Because a lot of times wholesalers have this, this, this idea that, you know, it's us against the realtors. And I'm, and I tell people, no, no realtors are one of your closest allies, you know, because if you can't move a deal, Guess what? The ally, the your realtor has tons of buyers, you know, that's gonna move that deal for you. So how did you reach out to these different realtors or these other um investors that you aligned yourself with? Was it just through Facebook or or how did you how did you contact them and build that relationship? Yeah, and, I, and people, there's lots of different ways you can build buyers lists and stuff. The way we've done it, I just said kind of brute force almost one at a time. You come into a new market, you find people, you do some research, you know who's buying properties, you can send them out mailers and stuff, and try to get them on your list. With our list, we've always been trying to be quality over quantity, right? Because you can go out there and you can just blitz people on Facebook and get a 3,000 person buyers list, but they're not vetted. You don't know who these people are, right? right. So we go out there and try to find the people who are real players that are really buying the houses. We go out there, we try to mail them, right? Like, hey, we know you're buying houses, try to mail them, try to contact them, skip trace them. But also we do stuff like title company. Like, we, you're asking, I mean, go in there, you find a real estate, you go, like, for example, you call the RIA. Who's the president of the RIA? You talk to who are the players? He gives you three names of players. You call up those players and you ask each one of them. Friendly talking on the phone, like, hey, who do you else? Who do you know this stuff? Who does this and that, right? Or hey, who do you use for your title stuff, right? And you start seeing the yep. same names come up from here. It's just this who do you know game, the networking getting in there, and all of a sudden, boom, 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 title companies. Hey, who do you know that's closing deals? Who are you some of your big investors, right? It just becomes this yep. thing of like, now you got the players on this. And it, 
you don't need to have like a 3,000 person buyers list. You just need the right players. You need the right people on those lists. Because if you look at a lot of wholesalers lists, they're probably selling to the same like 20, 30 people over and over again. This onesie twosie guy, <laughs> but for the most part, they're selling. They're selling yep. the same guys. Because real, real, I mean, quality buyers, they're on that wholesaler's cell phone speed dial. You know what saying? Oh, man. Yep. Hey, I look, know man. you buy in this area. I know this is what you want. Here it is. I'm going to send you a text real quick. Let me know if you want it. Dude, so, when I was a wholesaler, when I was kind of in transition, I mean, I was doing acquisitions and dispositions and stuff, and I was starting to build a team. My one transition year, I sold almost all my stuff to one of my good friends here in Utah. We're still good friends, right? I sold him 50 houses one year. Wow. And I, I, you think, like, I, that's not a bragging thing. I'll tell you why in a second. But he, I was like, I was his VIP. He took me front row to the Utah Jazz games. Like, I'd sit on the front row and sit with him. He took me that because, I mean, he was making a lot of money on me, right? Yep. Yep. Now I sold him 50 houses. I probably sold other people at five. Right. So the thing I'm telling you with that is, I mean, there's a lesson to be learned there. Like he loved me for that. He bought me a watch for me to Utah jazz. And we're still really good friends. Or I realized when I, when I brought him to start selling to other people, you know, what I'm going to say I've made more money, right? Yep. Because he was not paying me the most money. He was the easiest button for me. Cause That's I'd go, I think a contract, I'd come back like, here, I got one, two, three easy shoes. Like I'll pay 60 on that. I'm like, okay, cool. Done. Right. Yep. <laughs> we yep. all know that like, that's not maximizing dispositions, <laughs> but I mean, it's easy. You get to know something like that. It's like, they one buyer, boom, 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 boom. He'll buy everything. If you're doing that right now, if that's you, stop because you're giving up hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yep. Uh, I could have had my own season tickets for the, the amount that he was giving him the discount, but you know. And, 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 and Andy, I feel you because it's funny because the same situation happened to me here in Phoenix. I was just giving everything to this one buyer. It was easy. You know, I pick up the phone. Hey, this is what I got. How much you pay for it? You know, and I'll just give it to him. He, he took me to the Cardinals game. You know, I'm at the Cardinals oh, games, yeah. everything like that. And, um, but then I started, I was following these, these deals and I'm like, okay, he'll get it. I'll sell it to him for 75. But then on the back end, he's selling it for 90, you know, yeah, or a yeah. hundred. And I'm like, he's wholesaling it off your wholesale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Like, man, I could have made 50 grand versus making 17 grand, you know, yeah. but it taught me. That's one of the things that taught me is, you know, you got to broaden those horizons and don't take the easy street. You know, yeah, you can make a quick, you know, 15, $17,000, but look what you're giving up. Yeah. And, and that said too, it's not all bad because you and I both have the same experience, but I recognize it. Go, look, it was a learning opportunity because those newer investors coming in there. If that's all you've got, if you only have that connection, take that quick money. It's fine. Just learn from it yep. and just recognize, build your network later. Cause someday you take it until you have better buyers. Once you have better buyers, it's like, Hey, they're going to pay more, but do what you got to do to kind of get up there, you know? Yep. Yep. So when you, let me ask you this, uh, Andy, when you move into a new market, do you ever JV with some of the wholesalers that's already in, in town? Uh, we have done that before. I mean, it's been a number of years since we've moved into a new market, but we did do that before. We had some people that would say, Hey, I got a guy kind you know, we, they were on our list for whatever reason and we couldn't get it moved. And they're like, look, I can, I can get you that price or, or can we JV this? And we'd let them do that. Right. And they could have let them daisy chain it. But anytime yep. they daisy chained it, we find that in buyer. Now he was our buyer. Right. Yep. So yep. it's like, it was a one-time deal. And it's like, boom, now he's our buyer. Now he's our buyer. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it's happened. Not a ton, but it definitely happens. That's part of the game, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is. Especially going into a new market, you may not have that buyer's list. You say, hey, you know what? Got a property under contract. Let me reach out to another wholesaler and say, hey, you know what? Let's JV this thing. See if you can bring me a buyer. I got the seller. Let's match it together and put it up and make some money off of it. But like you said, once you do that, hey, look at that hood, get that information about who that buyer is. Now you put them on your buyer's list. Now you can go directly to him versus going around to that wholesaler. Cost of doing business. Might have cost you five, 10 grand to get that guy's name and number, but that's all right. Yep, got that's it now. all right. <laughs> <laughs> got it now. Yeah. You got it. You got it. So Andy, tell me, man, what's next? What are you looking at next? Um, 
right now with your business? Oh man, we're just, we're not really in, we were in kind of like stabilization mode for the last couple of years and we're kind of still there, I guess you say. A lot of people are pushing for this new thing. People have asked for a couple of years, when are you going to the next market? Because we're just in those three markets. And, and really that's, I, I, I'd be lying to you if I said we were. I mean, we're really just, uh, we're doing our thing. We're trying to get our, obviously trying to be more efficient with what we've got. Uh, our best year, we did like four and a half million dollars of gross wholesale fees, uh, which was, that was a great year. We didn't yeah. do that last year, but this year we're pushing towards that again. So that's kind of, just trying to be, uh, you know, kind of match it to exceed or exceed our, our best year we did before. Just trying to be profitable too, right? Just trying to maximize and like, because it's not just about the gross profit you're making. It's like driving down those expenses so you can be profitable. Um, so we're kind of operating. We're hubbing on that. And, uh, you know, want all the guys in our company to do well. And they do. So it's, it's not just about me. It's about them and them, you know, thrive and make money. So um, we're just kind of, we're kind of not stabilization mode. We're just kind of doing our thing. And we've been, we've been in this mode where we're at. We've been, similar size and similar team and stuff for three, four years. We've been okay. doing this for, yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, because some people, you know, they get complacent and they say, well, we're just going to stay here. We're not going to grow any further. Or they say, well, I just want to take, I want to be in all 50 States, but you yeah. know, you're comfortable with what you're doing. Not saying that you're, you know, complacent or anything like that. You have something stable, something consistent, something that you can track and not everybody have that. And that's a good yeah. thing. So Andy, let me ask you this. Um, what are some of the KPIs that you guys track and that you try and follow to see how well your dispositions are going or how well your acquisitions team is doing? Yeah, acquisitions team, you report the numbers. So we want to know from our marketing, uh, what, what's our cost per lead, right? I mean, this is, this is, all this stuff was like revolutionary five years ago. But right now it's like, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we do that too. Yep. But it's, it's, it's a standard front. It's like when you send out some mail or you send whatever, what's your cost per lead? And I'm talking a lead like somebody that actually wants to sell their house, not a cost per phone call, not a cost per response. Yeah. So cost per lead, how much did that lead cost you in these different channels? Leads per contract. So how many of those leads turned into a contract? Because it's different per channel. A PPC lead's got a higher conversion rate than a direct mail lead, right? And it's got a higher conversion rate than a text message lead. Like it just does, right? So cost per lead, leads per contract, and then uh, then average contract. Like what's that contract worth, right? Gotcha. Um, and that's it. You can kind of run those numbers. Um, yeah, and then we, we, we track our, our reps every week. We want to know how many appointments they went on, how many offers they made, how many offers they got accepted, right? Um, okay. Yeah, it's just that basic stuff, really. So what, what triggers a rep to go out on an appointment? So a phone call comes in or we get a PPC lead or whatever it is. Uh, and there's various things depending on if it happens after hour, right? We've got some stuff that happens that if our lead intake team's not answering the phone, uh, it goes to a third party, uh, yep. like a, you know, answering service, right? Uh, and they might not get that to our rep. But if, as soon as they get that to the rep, if they call them, screen them, get some information, they'll set an appointment, almost a set an appointment with almost everybody. Our sales rep, it's goes through Podio, picks it up, reads the notes, calls the person, retests that motivation, rescreens them, either confirms okay. the appointment or cancels that appointment. Then they're going to go see this person. And, and we're, we're big into seeing people live. If they can't, if they don't want to for coronavirus or whatever reason, they live out of state and we can't go see them, that's fine. We can work with them on the phone, but we'd rather be there in person, belly to belly with them. Uh, they'll go there, meet with them, and the negotiations on from there. Sometimes it's a one call close that we get. Oftentimes it's like they need multiple things to happen, right? right? And they'll do that follow up. So they'll go get that contract if they can. And then after they get that contract, they come back, upload it to the system, transaction coordination's dealing with it, and dispositions and project management's dealing with it. Uh, and they're kind of running from, from there. But but that's that's gonna trigger their, their lead. Phone call, appointment, we go see it. Yep. So they're basically going out on every lead. Um, basically every lead, they're going out on an appointment after they re-gauge motiva motivation and everything like that. 
Yep. And they're being pretty, you know, they're being pretty loose. They're going to go to most stuff, but they also just don't want to waste the time of the people that are tire kickers. They're going to ask right. them this question to push them away, right? Get them to okay. say, you know, why don't you list it or whatever. But if they got some level of motivation, they're going to go see them. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, Andy, we're going to wrap up here. Let's go into our hot seat questions. We're going to put Andy on a hot seat real quick. So Andy, answer these questions uh, as soon as possible, as quick as possible. But if you need to elaborate, feel free to do so. Starting over, what would you do different? Oh, man. I think I'd elevate my mindset earlier. I didn't know what I didn't know, but I was like, I, I, I was way too small for too long. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Surround yourself with people who are doing bigger things that are where you want to be. Because I was just, I didn't know. I didn't know. I think, I think that a lot of people go through that. You know, they, um, they just unsure, you know, if they can really go to that next level. And when you surround yourself with those people that's at that next level, you know, just in conversation, they're going to pull you up and invigorate yep. you and inspire you to do, do more things. All yep. right. Uh, what is your greatest commodity outside of capital? Oh man, outside of capital, you know, it's people. It's always been people, man. Treating other people how you want to be treated, helping enough other people get what you, they want and you'll get what you want. It's just, I think it's people. It's people. Help me connect with sellers. Help me connect with, you know, money partners and potential people to do deals with. Like in team members, it's like people, man. People. Gotcha. Okay. How many, um, how many flips are you guys doing? Are you doing many flips or is this mostly wholesale? mostly we've been like 80, 20 wholesale, but it's ironic. You say that like right now, I probably got like 25 flips going. <laughs> I got wow. a lot of flips going. Yeah. <laughs> you, and and the, the reason why is because right now, I don't know when this is going to come out right now in the market, interest rates are extremely low. Inventory yep. is super low. This is the hottest market. Frankly, I've seen in 17 years. Yeah. And we're getting multiple offers. Of it's hot. It's hot. It is hot. So it is hot. So we're maximizing. We're getting multiple offers and highest and best on our stuff. So we're taking advantage right now. And I don't know how long the season's going to be, but we're definitely taking advantage for the next three yeah. months, you know? Have to, have to. Okay, good, good. What is one thing you could do to be more productive? Oh, to be more productive? You know, this is a funny thing. Like, this is going to come off wrong, but like, I love people and I love talking to people, but I, I, I have a hard time. Like when people are talking to me stuff, I have a hard time like cutting off those conversations. Cutting it off. My wife, my wife knows this about me. She's like, if I get into one, she's just like, just forget it. It's gone. <laughs> Take the kids away. Drive home yourself because, you know, I'll sit there like and talk to them. And not just like, oh, I'm just talking, talking, talking to them. But like, I'll listen to them and I'm interested in people. And we'll be there for an hour or so. And even though I know, I'm like, oh, I got to get out of here. I don't want to be rude. I don't want right, to. Right, right. So That's good. I could be more productive by doing that. Being less of a people person, I guess. But those relationships are, are good, but are valuable because down the road, you just never know when that one conversation you had two years ago, you may run into that person again and they say, hey, you know what, Andy, I got this situation. You know, can you help me out? For sure. Yeah. And also, I think you're a man of faith too. I read this stuff on your yep, blog. Absolutely. Like I view there's more of this life than just what you can get. And I, I look at this and say like any opportunity I have, even if all I can give them is a listening ear, mm -hmm. I would like to be able to give that to them. So I maybe to a fault sometimes, you know? Sometimes yep. I do that. So, well, and you know what? It's all about giving. You know, that's, yeah. that's one of the main things. It's, it's, you give of your time, you give of your talents, you give of your resources, you know, and that's, that's basically what it's all about. I'm a firm believer of that. Um, Amen. What, what drives your ambition? Oh, man, it's always been freedom. And people are like, well, what's freedom? I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it with who I want to do it with. That was it. That was it. I always just wanted freedom. I didn't want a pile of money. I just wanted freedom, freedom. That is it. I think that's, that's what everybody is driving for. You know, everybody wants that freedom. 
you know, but everybody is looking at the money to give them the freedom. And it's not the money that give them the freedom, but mm -hmm. it's the, it's the structure it's your life structure. How you balance things is what gives you the freedom. Because if you have that balance, you know, you'll still be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it, how you want to do it, you know, with the amount of capital that you have. So people yeah. listen to that. It's not always about the money. It's about, you know, those relationships and outside resources. Andy, Absolutely. what is your greatest challenge, man, if it's internal or external? Oh, man. <laughs> this is going to sound bad too, but like, I think my greatest challenge I've realized over the last couple of years is success because I've got the things that I wanted and I'm like, I've got the freedom and stuff, but it's like, you know, you're successful, you get that. And then it's like, then what? Because you don't have to do anything, right? Like, I don't, I don't have to, like, I, I'm blessed enough to have been to a point that 17 year journey that I've got that's smart with my finances. I've got passive income and cash flow, and even my businesses are somewhat passive. Right. So I've had this success and I look at it and say like that sometimes when you don't have to do anything, now, what are you going to do? When your back's against the wall, it's easy. You come out fighting or you'll lay down and die. Right. But when you don't have to do anything now, it's like, okay, now what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You got it. You caught it. Now what? Yeah. What are you going to yep. do? <laughs> so there you go. That's, Success. That was all that right, for all right. <laughs> and then what's, what's the latest business book um, or real estate book that you've read? Oh uh, man, I'm going to broaden it to different categories. Cause recently I finished about three books in the last week. Okay. One of them business book, real estate book. Well, real estate book first, my friend, Mike Simmons, who I think was on your podcast too. Yep. He wrote a book called level jumping, which look, I'll be honest. I read it cause he's my friend. I bought it cause he's my friend. And I started reading it because, you know, you kind of have to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. It sucked me in. His writing style was really good. I actually read the whole book and I sent him a message and said, man, this is a phenomenal book. So that was a great book. No fluff. There's tons of books out there, right? Yeah. It was a good book. So, and I told him that as much. So I read that recently. Um, another one I read was a, a book by Bill Marriott. It wasn't an autobiography, but it's called uh, Success is Never Final. And I think it was a recent book, but uh, by Bill Marriott. Marriott Corporation, you know, like the okay. hotels. That was a great book. Business book, not so much a real estate book. And then also one, a kind of faith-based book, a book called Almighty. It's, the title is called Almighty. It was written by a guy named David Butler. He just talks about God, Heavenly okay. Father. He's reversed in there. And his characteristics and things. And I really love that. And so yeah, three books I've read in the last week or so. There you go. I mean, you got the business, you have the real estate, and you had the spiritual component. I mean, yeah. that's, that's being well-rounded. Only thing you're missing is family. But with, <laughs> with the spiritual component comes the family. So that's Amen. good. That's good. Amen. And let me add this too. I know you're a man of faith. I read those books, but I start every morning uh, in the scripture. I read, start every morning in scripture. Go. And I, I highly recommend those are truth, those truth principles translate across the business, family, and everything. Uh, I definitely would be remiss if I did not attribute some of that to my success. And it keeps you grounded. And like, I highly recommend it. Those of you that are listening to that, don't read the scriptures, do it. Just start and see what happens. Just start yep, and see what happens. Yep. It's good for you. It's so many, and, and I'm the same way. I start, I start with my scriptures in the morning, prayer, scriptures, meditation, confessions. You know, every morning I have to do that because it keeps me, I'm just going to tell you, I get lost throughout my day if I don't do that. I can tell when my day, if I don't do that in the morning, I'm completely lost. Everything seems confusing. You know, I just can't put it all together. But in those scriptures, guys, there's everything that you need, everything that you need. So a lot of these books are really just refashioned and retailed from, from the Bible, from the scriptures. So um, get in there. Can I, can I, Go ahead. Can I add one more thing on that? Because I love that you said, I do the same thing. People start with meditation or, or prayer. Or I, I pray because I'm a faith-based. I believe in Heavenly Father, right? So when I pray there, my prayers, I always try to have it be, 
first of all, gratitude. We have gratitude. Guys, if you realize, if you're listening to those podcasts, how many blessings and things you have, there's so much to be grateful for. I don't care your circumstances. You have so much to be grateful for. Even just look at your hand and the way it works and the way it makes you without you thinking about it, right? Look at an orange and how complex that is. I mean, that, that testifies that there is a greater creator and that call him Heavenly Father. So absolutely like that gratitude, think of that. And then when your prayers, when I ask for something, I try to, I used to ask for stuff that you kind of think that you want and recognize you don't know exactly what you want. But I try to think now when I'm asking for something, the main thing I try to ask for every day is to align my will with what he wants for me because he is infinitely smarter than me to put it like yep. mildly, right? If I can just align my will with his, what he wants for me, I mean, look, he's got the best stuff. They, Heavenly Father has the best stuff for me. And I think Marcus, he's not as headed too. Yep. So when you're praying, fill it with gratitude, obviously on everything you've got because you've been given so much. And then pray to align your will with, uh, with God's will, whatever you call him, right? And yep. your life will change. Your life will yep. change. And it's funny that you mentioned that because at the end of my morning worship, the last question I ask is, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do today? You I know? love it. You know, so it's it. not what my agenda is. It's okay. Yes, I have my agenda, but what is it that you want me to do? Because your agenda supersedes and supersedes my agenda. So if you want me to do something totally different, I'm open to doing that. And, and many blessings, you know, come down because of that. And, and it's, it's just, just peaceful. Andy, I could talk Amen. about this all day. I know, I know. We're getting started. We're getting started on that stuff. We're getting started on that stuff, man. And you can tell I'm passionate about that stuff too. And you ask those questions, and then listen. When you ask that, don't yeah. just get off your knees. But then listen, and you'll you'll have, ideas will come into your mind. People, things, stuff will happen that you're like, oh, okay. And it will be to do things that are good. And when you follow those, just wait. Your life will change forever. Yep. There you go. Amen, brother Andy. I want to thank you, man. Before we wrap up here, tell us how we can find you, what are you doing? You know, what are you, any promotions? How can we meet up with you? What are you doing, man? Yeah, well, I can tell you, there's something I'm excited about. For the last five years, this will be the fifth year coming, we do this event in October. Now this year, unfortunately, it was just announced that we were gonna do it live. We were so excited to do it live because it's been five years running. It's gonna be in Orlando, but we just found out a couple of days ago that it's probably not possible. So we're gonna do it. Look, we call it a virtual event. It's gonna make people think like, oh, this is gonna be awful. I promise you, you will not be disappointed the event is called Flip Hacking Live. So okay. anybody wants to know anything about it, you go fliphackinglive.com. See this right here? Flip Hacking Live. There we go. There we go. Fliphackinglive.com. And that, I mean, there's going to be, it's, it's a multiple day event. It's going to be live this time, or it's going to be virtual this time, but don't let that deter you because I promise you it's going to be good. And uh, we're going to bring it. So uh, I was going to be there live to meet, to meet with some people. And I'm just one of many speakers and all of them are legit, but uh, I'll be there and sharing some, sharing some good stuff and, uh, fliphackinglive.com. It's, it's going to be awesome, you, I promise. Who else you got that's on the line up? On the line up? Uh, well, Bill Allen runs the thing. He runs it now, right? But we got a bunch of people that are within our mastermind community. Um, so seven-figure flipping is the, the mastermind community gotcha. that me and Justin started five years ago, right? Um, so it's, it's our mastermind community. And a lot of people that are kind of the top people in that community that are multi-million dollars deals, speaking about a lot of different things. I mean, you name it, we speak about it, right? From uh, from raising money to how to do lead gen, to how to do sales stuff, and it's all legit. These are not people that are like trying to sell you something. These are people like yep. giving you the goods, right? And for the last couple of years, we brought in different people. Like Russell Brunson came and spoke a couple of years ago. For oh, those of you okay. know who he is, yep. so he came out and spoke. Uh, Jocko Willink, you know who Jocko is. Yeah, he's like a Navy yeah. ship. Yeah, Jocko came last year. That was cool to hang out with him a little bit. Um, but we we definitely bring it right. And this is not just some rinky dink thing. Like it's legit. It's legit. It's been that way for for a number of years. So. Um, I'll be there doing my thing. And again, I'm just going to be one small part of it. 
But uh, I've been thinking about what I'm talking about this year, and I think it's going to be good. And there's, okay. there's stuff I've never shared before that I'm planning on sharing this year. So well, I've got to get it off my chest. I, I really think the uh, seven-figure flipping family, you know, for everything that you guys are doing. I mean, Mike, when I had the conversation with Mike, I was definitely impressed. I've been following you for a long time, Andy. And actually, you were, when I, when I decided to start this blog, actually in 2017, um, just give you this quick little backstory. Yeah, uh, I was led to start this blog and I was, I was always making up all of these excuses why I can't start it. You know, you know, it's the imposter syndrome. Well, people don't want to listen to me. What am I doing? Blah, 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 blah. And I had this list of people that I wanted to talk to. And I was like, these guys are not going to want to talk to me, you know, but, and you were one of the people that was on that list. So what? <laughs> yeah. what? Marcus, that's <laughs> awesome, man. So now I, I had a chance, you know, to talk to you and meet you. Uh, definitely going to get a chance to meet you personally, but man, yeah. it's it's a blessing. This is just answered prayers, honestly. I love it. no, and I love it, and I think there is some divine design that comes in with all this stuff. But thank you. That that means a lot to me. There you go, people. You never know who you're impacting with what you're doing in your corner of the world. So you can come back because you said that, and thank you. That's give. I've got so much gratitude for your kindness there and sharing that because that means something to me too. That it had a small impact in your life. So thank you, Marcus, for sharing that. That's cool. Well, thank you so much, Andy. So before we go. Um, any social media? How can we find you on Instagram, Facebook? Where I'm so horrible. I'm so horrible. <laughs> oh, come I don't, on. I, don't, I, I, st I stay off of social media. I'm not on Instagram. I don't have an Instagram. I don't have a Snapchat. I don't have a TikTok, TikTok whatever it is. <laughs> and Facebook, I don't get on there as often as maybe people okay. like me too. I don't. But uh, I'm a seven-figure flipping community. I know I'm, I'm pretty active in there. And then the Flip Hacking Live, I'm active in there. Other than that, I mean, I guess if you're up in Utah, you can look, you can look me up. But like, I pretty much just hang out and do my thing. We didn't talk about what I do personally, right? But uh, yeah, I just got to do my thing. Yeah. So, so guys, you want to meet Andy, believe me, he's active on Seven Figure Flipping. Um, they have a Facebook group. So you can go there, get a lot of good information from there as well. So Andy, um, before we leave, lastly, hey, what would you want to tell somebody that's thinking about getting started or they're at that onesie twosie and they're looking to take it to the next level? What's some words of inspiration that you can leave with them? Oh man, thanks for this opportunity. I'm going to give you as best I can what Ryan gave me. You are no different than I am. I promise you that. I promise you, whoever's listening to this, you are no different than I am. I am a guy that I did not start with a bunch of stuff, but I give you, you have that permission. You can do any of these things you've had these ideas to do. If you've, your mind can conceive it, you can achieve it. I promise you. That. That's not just me just saying this stuff to try to hype you up. You can do it. You've got to put in the work. You can do it, but you have permission. You can go and get it. You can go be whatever you want to be. I promise you. I promise you that is true for you. You just got to go get it. There you guys. There you guys. You have it. I mean, you're hearing it from a multimillionaire. Go out there and get it. You can do it. He started small. You're starting small. Just go out there and do it. Nothing to stop you but your own self-limiting beliefs. Andy, thank you. I appreciate it. You dropped tons of gems for us on today. Uh, we talked about real estate. We talked about faith. We talked about, you know, our teams, everything like that. Man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. 
You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.